0: So this morning we are going through the sermon before the last sermon of Proverbs. Uh, We're going to have one more sermon in the book of Proverbs, and then we're going to transition to another book of the Old Testament, Uh, and that will probably ensue once we move to the new building. Okay, so just uh, a reminder that we will be moving here to a, uh, a shop that is here off of Shoppers Lane. It's about a block or even less from here. So that should be a um, a better space, given that uh, the Lord has increased the numbers of people that are visiting us and they're joining us. So that's going to be a great blessing for us. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Proverbs chapter four, and we're going to we're going to study verses ten through nineteen. Proverbs four, verses ten through nineteen. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. The word of God says starting in verse 10 hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many I have taught you the way of wisdom I have led you in the path of uprightness when you walk your step will not be hampered and if you run you will not stumble keep hold of instruction do not let go guard her for she is your life do not enter the path of the wicked And do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go in it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given us wisdom in the wisdom of Proverbs. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit may convict us so that we would turn from the evil path and follow the path of obedience towards you. Draw us, Lord, unless you give us wisdom to turn from evil and to go to you, we'll not be able to do it in our own efforts. It will be in vain otherwise. We depend on you, Lord, in your goodness and we trust that you will speak to us today. We ask this thing in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Alright, so the title of today's message um, for those of you that may have the bulletin, uh, I titled it Two Ways of Life. This is listening to the advice of the of the father, a father speaking to his son. That's been the theme throughout the first four chapters of Proverbs. And this father is trying to instill wisdom in his son. And now he is delineating that there's a path of righteousness, and then there's a path of wickedness, a path of evil. And there's three times in this passage that the word stumble is mentioned. And stumble here means to make an error. right? It says if you follow the path of righteousness, you would not stumble when you walk. You will not fall in error. In other words, in it, you will not fall into ruin. And then the other path of wickedness, it says, if you follow that path, that's going to be your end, the end of ruin, the end of stumbling. Interesting word, they use it. Now, we're going to explore what the Bible says about these two paths, righteousness and wickedness. And a warning for us is that most people, especially in this day and age, they assume that they're already following the path of righteousness. Right? So if we speak to somebody about what the Bible says, a common response is, actually, I'm already okay. Like, I, I could hear what you have to say, but like, that's good for you. I'm already okay. So that's a warning for us this morning. If we think that we're already okay and we don't need to change our path, then this message is for us especially. Let us remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13 14. He said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. So here Jesus is explaining the two paths, right? The paths of righteousness, the paths of wickedness, how we're gonna see in Proverbs today applies to our everyday life, right? The practical um, doings of our everyday living, what we choose, how we live. And Proverbs brings that type of wisdom to us. Now, the skill to live the life wisdom that we learn in Proverbs is not only to be able to do correct choices and to expand our days right it says if you follow these things you have a pretty good shot at living a longer life now that's part of it but that's only a picture of what it ultimately means what it ultimately means is that if we find this wisdom that Proverbs is telling us the wisdom of God ultimately, we will find not only the extended days of our temporary life here on earth, but ultimately, the life that is everlasting, the one that is promised by faith in Christ. The wisdom of God should ultimately lead us to trusting Jesus in His goodness, in His perfection, in His resurrection. Okay? So then ultimately, the purpose of wisdom is to learn who God is, learn who Christ is, and then see how deficient we are and that we need him right that's the ultimate ends but we can learn from the book of Proverbs of the skill to live life well to live life appropriately as God commands us in his word okay so with that this passage that we just read has a couple of observations that we should keep in mind as we study it first we're going to see that wisdom Acquiring wisdom requires instruction. So a question for us is, when was the last time that I was open to be instructed? Hey, you know what, I actually don't know, let me listen. Wisdom requires instruction. And then we're gonna see that instruction requires submission to authority, inevitably. going you learn, you're gonna learn under something or someone. Submission to authority. So a question for us then is, To what authority am I being submitted to right now? And we may say, "Oh no, I'm not submitted to." Oh yes, we are all submitted to some type of authority or truth that you are following. So, which authority are we being submitted to right now? And then, living in wisdom is a battle. Living righteously, doing the wise thing in our everyday life is a battle. It doesn't come naturally, and that's why it requires instruction and submission to authority. Living in wisdom is about it. And then we're going to see that wickedness, evil, is the default position of every human being. Okay, That's what the Bible teaches. So it brings back the question, do I think that I'm okay just the way I am? Or am I being worked on by God? Am I being sanctified? Am I being, becoming more and more like Jesus as I live my life? Right? Wickedness is a default position. And we need to change to become more like Jesus. So then the attitude of our hearts in this aspect should give us an indication of whether we are following the path of righteousness or whether we're following the path of wickedness. The passage before us is also divided into three portions which I think will be the best method to follow. First, it talks about the path of life. What that path of life looks like in instruction and then what it looks like in application. Secondly, it describes the path of death the path of wickedness the path of evil and its application how that may look like in the life of a person and then finally it contrasts this is a path of light it describes it with language of light and then it says "And this is a path of darkness so path of life and its application path of death and its application and then the final contrast so let's dig right in The first two verses, verses 10 and 11, talk about the path of righteousness and their application. We're gonna learn here that instruction and submission to authority is required for wisdom, okay? So verse 10 says, hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. One thing we are reminded here is that instruction is repetitive. Constant theme in scripture, and in Proverbs in particular, is the phrase listen, my son, heed my words, do not do this, instead do that, right? Constant repetition, instruction takes repetition. And this is important because it just doesn't only take hearing as in the aspect of, yes, I, I can hear what is said or I can hear an instruction being given, but are we going to do what we're being told? Are we going to follow the instruction we're being given, or are we going to blow it? Right. As I was studying this passage, I thought of: Is there an example that it kind of seems a little bit ridiculous, but is a little bit humorous, and it proves a point? My wife and I were having breakfast one time at a uh, at Flappy Jacks here in Glendora, and next to us, before the COVID era, next to us, in the table next to us was an older couple. And the man ordered a German pancake, which it's. it's a, I saw it when it came out. I didn't know what it was. It's a huge pancake about the size of the plate. and It has a lot of powdered sugar on top. And the man said to the waitress, uh, please give me this pancake but no powdered sugar. And then they ordered the rest of the things. And he said, please make sure you don't put any powdered sugar in my, in my pancake. And he repeated that seriously like five or six times. And when the waitress left, I told my wife, "This guy is kind of acting like a jerk. Like, why does he keep? Why does he need to repeat that so many times? Like, it, I feel bad for the for the waitress." Well, lo and behold, his family comes out. Gives what I had on top? Powder sugar almost. <laughs> right. So, whatever was that? Just out of spite or whatever it may be, I was reminded that one thing is to understand what is being heard, to understand the instruction being given. Another thing is actually realizing, and coming through and doing what we are hearing, the instruction we are being given. So, likewise, let us not think of instruction, of repetitive instruction, as something for us to say, oh, I already know, I already heard that, or I already know that Bible story, or that Bible passage. No. We are constantly reminded in Scripture by Jesus, who says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. So a constant reminder to listen to instruction, which is repetitive by nature. And then scripture also tells us that there are those that listen, but do not understand, right? Yes, I'm listening, but I'm not understanding. So then the language here in this first verse implicates us not only to listen as the father is telling the son to listen, but it says to accept my words. That phrase there, means not only an intellectual affirmation that you're listening but it actually means I take what you're saying I understand it and I'm going to apply it this is what the father is telling the son accept my words and then it says the result of that that your life the years of your life may be many the natural result of obedience in this life if we listen to the precepts of God's word generally speaking is going to be a longer life right I think I've recently shared with many of you that I've had close friends and close family members who blatantly have followed a path of disobedience and very sadly has ended in their life, in death, physical death, and more than likely, eternal death, and that's the path of disobedience. No submission to authority, no regard for repetitive instruction because I'm okay I know what's best for me it's good for you you can believe what you want but let me do what I want that path always ends in death that's a constant reminder instruction requires repetition and then verse 11 says I have taught you the way of wisdom I have led you in the paths of uprightness the important thing to point out is that although we may be receiving instruction not all instruction is righteous instruction okay So the exhortation here is for the teacher, not only for the one listening, but also for the teacher. The only instruction of biblical wisdom that leads to righteousness in the sight of God is the instruction that the Bible teaches. So what is the warning here for all of us then? As a father or as a mother, we can teach our children to be kind, to share, to be respectful, to work hard, and yes, all those are great virtues. But ultimately, if we don't teach them the truth of Scripture, who God is, who we are, who Jesus is, our need for Him, then we would only be imparted into them good wisdom, yes, but not necessarily godly wisdom. So us as teachers, what are we teaching our children? Is it just to be good for the sake of being good? Or is it a review and instruction and Edification to build them up from the teaching of Scripture. What are we teaching them? Not all instruction is righteous and Then for the parents and guardians here The question is then do we know the gospel do I know what the Bible teaches at least at a very basic level? And if I don't that's okay, but at least we know that we have some growing to do ourselves so that when we teach others we are imparting the wisdom of God and not only the wisdom that is practical, not only the wisdom that will lead us to good choices, which is good in itself, but we need to go beyond that if we're going to teach the wisdom of God. And then it leaves us asking, okay, well, how do we teach? Well, first, we teach our children by using words, right? Concepts, precepts, doctrine, we teach our kids. But secondly, and maybe more importantly, We teach our kids by our actions. Or whoever it is that we have a sphere of influence over that look to us. Is my behavior consistent with what I'm teaching? That's a question for us today. One of the most common resentment of, of children who grew up in the Christian homes all throughout the world is that my parents taught me one thing, but they lived out their life in another way. So what are we teaching our children? We could be checking the box and say, "Yes, I know the Bible. Yes, I, I teach them about Jesus, about the gospel." But what about your actions? Your actions—the way that you act—you may think you're not teaching that to your children, but trust me, our children are not. They're not naive. As a matter of fact, I've been called out myself on my daughter. And as much as I wouldn't say like, this is not your <laughs> business <laughs> it's a conviction for me so that is very very important for us teaching in righteousness and then teaching in doing righteousness and if we fail we need to repent our children those around us that we have influence over they need to see that we are wrong that we repent that we are not perfect and that we too need a savior so then, instruction then also requires submission to authority, let's expand a little bit on that. What authority are we in submission when it comes to how we live our life? Are we under the authority of the fear of man? What will my friend, neighbor, parent think of me? What will my acquaintance think of me because I have kept up a certain lifestyle? So I'm living in authority to what others are gonna be thinking of me, right? We may not think of it that way, but that could become an authority over us. And related to that, we could have an authoritative passion, desire, drive, that we may think is good, but nevertheless, it's put in itself, whatever that desire, passion, put in itself in the place of God. Jesus said in John eight thirty four. It says that Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So all those passions, desires, goals that we put as the ultimate goal of our life that we're pursuing after, essentially at the end of the day, if we're not following them in the ways of God, those are going to be ways that we put ourselves into slavery to those desires and passions and longings of our heart." We're being a slave to that authority. And then, to mention this, we already spoke about this a few sermons earlier, but we can be under the authority of the almighty dollar. I just need one more dollar, or a hundred more, or a hundred thousand more, whatever the scale may be. Right? We come to find out that when people from the poorest neighborhoods, to the richest neighborhoods are asked if they are rich. What does everybody say? I'm not rich. I mean, that guy over there is rich. I'm not. And that's in disguise, so therefore I need to earn one more dollar. We could be under the authority. We could be slaves to trying to make more and more and more money. Now, money itself is not the problem because Jesus said, not money, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of Solomon himself, who is the author of Proverbs, was a very, very rich man. So riches by themselves are not what causes us to stumble, but it's the love of that money. So what wish should we be in authority to is God. The authority of God comes in being in submission to his word, to what the Bible says we'll talk more about that later but in brief in short it means that if we are in a Christian home it means that the leader of that home will teach us scripture we're under submission to God's Word and to the teacher that has given us God's Word for a lot of us as us as parents and this also happens being under a Christian Church submitting and committing to a church that is biblical right this could be a controversial topic many times But again, if the Bible is our standard, the Bible is what we're following to be in submission to God, the Bible makes it clear that there's no such thing as a lone wolf Christian. We have to submit to God's Word and to a church that is faithfully teaching and preaching God's Word and a community of believers that lives together in order to persevere through the life of a Christian person. So authority to God will be under His word and His church. Now, submitting to any type of authority that appeals to the temporal, that is, to human authority or to the, to the desires of our hearts, apart hearts from God, we are being told that that will be the path of the wicked. Submitting to that type of authority, while submitting to the authority of God is going to lead us to the path of righteousness. That's the two paths that we're talking about. So then. Verses 12 and 13 talk about the practice of wisdom. How does that look like? And it it uses some, some metaphorical language. So it says, verses 12 and 13, when you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction, do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. The book of Proverbs, here in the first few chapters, but more so later, talks about the personification of wisdom in the form of Lady Wisdom, this lady that is very, very wise. And here we see that the Father has given that to the Son, wisdom. As we are instructed in that wisdom that God gives us, we will either be prepared and act accordingly when we are faced with a trial or a decision, or we will have not prepared be caught off guard and then what's gonna happen like the scripture says here that we will stumble we will fall we will fall into ruin it says when you walk if you run metaphorical language about walking in life our everyday decisions our everyday life so then keeping the wisdom that we are being given is to live in righteousness as we walk through life as we run through life some of us walk some of us are running sometimes right the business of life mm-hmm. in the language that is used here it's a plea It's saying please do this it says hold on to instruction don't let go guard her for she is your life a father has given his wisdom to the son and the implication here is that The father cannot keep that wisdom for his son. There will come a time for you young folks, or even for some older ones, when you're going to be faced with a decision, you're going to be faced with an offering that somebody has given you, and your dad, your mom, your guardian is not going to be there to tell you, son, don't do that. Son, don't take that. You're going to be left to your moral ability to say, I've been instructed in wisdom, and it's difficult to say no, but I'm going to say no. That takes preparation. That answer does not come right when you are faced with that trial. The father cannot keep the wisdom for the son. The son has to keep the wisdom for himself. And this is why the father is pleading with the son to listen. So then let's go on to the next verses. Now we're going to talk about the path of wickedness. We talked about the path of righteousness, and what that looks like in your everyday life. Now the path of wickedness and what that looks like. It comes in the form of a warning. Verses 14 and 15 says, Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. It that, gives that pleading from the Father to the Son. He pleads. Now, just to recap, we can use the word wicked, but what does that really mean in the context of Scripture? Here the word wicked means someone who is characterized by godlessness. This can be either deliberate, someone who hates God and says that he hates God, and wants nothing to do with God, and is involved in violent or immoral activity out in the open. That's pretty deliberate. But it can also be in a more subtle fashion. They don't say they don't want nothing with God, but whatever they're practicing, whatever they're doing, has no sign of being associated with them wanting to do anything right with God. This might come in the force in the in the in the way of advertising that they stand for a good cause, that they stand for a virtuous cause, but their ideology denounces God at every means, at every turn. So wickedness. It could be deliberate and out in the open, or it could be subtle. Let's learn, let's have discernment on how to know which is which. In this version, it's a warning about not being trapped in the path of wickedness. But also, when it comes to the path of wickedness, we are warned in Psalm 1 1. What does it say? It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And similar language then is being used here, when it says, don't enter that path, don't walk in their way, avoid it, do not go in it. turn away from it, pass on. The father's pleading is with the son, telling him, basically whatever you do, when you are faced with a moral choice, when you are being offered to do evil, Don't do it. That's pleading. Now, a more specific application, verses 16 and 17 says, For they, the wicked, cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Again, metaphorical language, poetic language that describes the mentality, the way that somebody that is wicked thinks. In scripture, when we get the picture of somebody that is wicked, we describe that by the phrase, the depravity of men. When we see a horrible crime being committed, or we hear of it, many times we find ourselves thinking, how can somebody do that? How could it be the Bible gives us the answer. It says, because of the depravity of men. And God in His mercy restricts the evil of all of our hearts. So that if it were not so, all of us would be out there committing the same, if not worse, acts of wickedness. That's what we learn from Scripture. That God restricts the heart of men from doing all the evil that He wanted to mm-hmm. The depravity of men. In this case, not only is the heart of men wicked, but we can be also influenced by bad company. We can be influenced by bad company. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken apathy, as is right, and do not go on sinning, For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame so there's those that have no knowledge of God and they're involved in all sorts of wickedness but it's saying you you do have knowledge of God shame on you and it says do not be deceived that company will corrupt you in other words if we are attaining wisdom if we are growing in wisdom we need to ask ourselves, which area or which areas of my life are a weakness to me that is gonna make me fall into sin. And we when we honestly answer that question in our minds and in our hearts, then we need to say, Okay, so when I see either family members, group of friends, whatever it may be, that are deliberately being involved in this activity, I cannot put myself in that situation because I will fall. That's a wisdom prudence and we need to come to that decision before we are faced on that fork in the road that we have to choose if we don't we will fall I tell you that by experience okay wisdom says be careful of your weaknesses be careful of what you're doing because you will fall when that company will corrupt your good morals Granted, it doesn't mean that we shut everyone and that we live separated? separate No, the Bible says that we live in the world, but we are not of the world. We have to be separated in the way that we live and in the way that we give a testimony to those around us. The point being, let us be conscious of our weaknesses and not be deceived. And then we come to the contrast between the two paths. The last two verses here contrast between the path of righteousness and the path of the wicked. Verse 18 says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. So here again, Solomon using poetic language, righteousness equating that to light is getting brighter and brighter. So living in wisdom and in righteousness We're told that that is a form of having light in our lives, and it becomes a struggle. It is not easy to keep to keep living in a wise way day to day. We're reminded of the scripture in John 8, 12, when Jesus speaks about righteousness and about light, what does he say? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In that language, life, the righteous path. Jesus says, I am the light. Follow me. And then comes the contrast. Verse 19. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness, they do not know over what they stumble. Wickedness, darkness. Righteousness, light. And here the contrast of wickedness is basically a life of disobedience which is the default position of any person and typically when we are informed that that's our default position the very first reaction at least my reaction was I'm not I'm okay I'm not wicked you're wicked right that's the default position of somebody being told that they are wicked. John 3, 19 and 20. What does Jesus says? He's warning that there's a judgment on people. And that when we think we're okay, we're actually already under judgment. Mm-hmm. And He gives the reason. What does He say? Jesus speaking. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his words should be exposed. There it is. So that's a warning for all of us, my friends. If we claim to walk with Jesus but yet love the darkness, that is a call for us to repent. To admit and to say, yes, Lord, yes, I fell. I repent, I turn and I go to you instead. 1 John one six says, if we say we have fellowship with him, While we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. It's pretty sobering, right? And why is it so? That's because God, being holy, there's no such thing as a free pass for sin. There's never been. There never will be. Sometimes we may think, well, you know, I'm in a special case, so if God gives me a hearing, he'll understand why... I did such and such wrong. The standard is perfection. And this could lead us like, oh, so then what? Well, there's good news. And we'll do that here as we recap what we've learned today. So this wisdom that is required to follow the righteous path is obtained by submitting to God's authority. Okay? Yes, we can have practical wisdom, which will enhance our everyday life, such as better management of my my finances, not getting into debt, being kind to my neighbor. Yes, all that is great, but that's the here and the now. Let's focus on the eternal. That type of wisdom can only come by submitting to God's authority. So let's ask ourselves, how did Solomon obtain such wisdom? He's given us the book of Proverbs. How did Solomon obtain that wisdom? Do you remember? He did what James 1.5 wrote hundreds of years later. What does James 1.5 tell us to do? If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask with God. And then verse 6 says, but ask it with faith, not as someone who is stumbling, who is tossed to and fro, right? So ask God for wisdom. And that's what Solomon did. In 1 Kings 3, 5, it says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. Right? What would we do if God appeared to us and He said, What would you like? I'll give it to you. Right? As great as that is, that's a huge temptation. So let's look at the response from Solomon. Solomon broke out into thanksgiving, into words of thankfulness, worship, adoration towards God for showing him mercy. And then showing this gratitude, Solomon went on and said this in verse 9. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind, To govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. He could have asked for anything. And Solomon says, Lord, give me wisdom. Give me discernment. How to distinguish bad from evil. How to manage this this people, your people. Which, in my mind, Solomon said, these people are crazy. I can't do it. You need to tell me how. And then God's answer in verse 10 says, because you have asked this and have not asked yourself along life or riches or the life of your enemies but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right behold I now do according to your word and then verse 13 says I will give you also what you have not asked both riches and honor so that no other king shall compare to you all of your days see that? Given this wisdom of Solomon we can now see that it came from God Solomon did not come to this wisdom on his own he could never have and we will never be able to have wisdom to submit to God's authority apart from God giving us that wisdom so that wisdom to submit to God's authority will come if we plead with God and ask Him to give us that wisdom. And then, note that that wisdom and that power to submit to God cannot and will not come out of your own efforts. Romans 8-7 says, For the mind that is set in the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Okay, On our own will, we will not be able to submit to God's law. To his instruction. So then our instruction, going back to what we mentioned earlier, comes from God's word, from what God says. Psalm nineteen one oh five says, Your word is a lamb unto my feet and a lie unto my path. Second Timothy three sixteen says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the men of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So then, submission to God's word is going to bring us wisdom. We need to ask for it. I can't do it. You need to help me. And then the goal of every Christian should be that this wisdom gives us a biblical worldview. What does that mean? Everything that is going on in your life, in our culture, in our world, If we don't view that from a Biblical worldview you're gonna be wiped away by all the different points of view and worldly worldviews that the world has given you. You will be convinced if you are not equipping yourself with having a Biblical worldview. This is enhanced by living, being connected to a community of believers to instruct each other, to share with each other, to exhort each other, to correct each other, so that we can be back on the path of righteousness. submitted to God's authority then, remember, does not come on our own, we need to ask for it, we need to plead with God to give it to us. And then secondly, this wisdom that we require, requires that We acknowledge that we are not in the right path. Right? If somebody asks you for directions, you give it to them, and you see them go the other way, you're like, hey, you're going the wrong way. Oh no, no, I'm going fine. No, you're going 180 opposite of what I told you. What is required is for us to acknowledge that we're in the wrong path. Proverbs 1412 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So what was the last time that we said to ourselves, if I'm honest, I think I'm doing wrong. I I think I need to change. Perhaps the Holy Spirit is telling you, you are following the path of wickedness. If we are Christians, this should be a very familiar conviction. When you are doing wrong, when you are being disobedient, if you're a child of God the Spirit will not leave you alone you will feel that conviction until you come and repent and ask God for forgiveness and if you've offended someone you come and do reparations with them and In humility you ask for forgiveness if this is not a familiar conviction for us my friends do not be deceived we need to repent recognizing that we are not in the right path. lastly I've kind of mentioned it already, but it needs to be reiterated. What I'm not saying, what the Scripture is not saying is to give us an attitude of saying, okay, you know what? Fine. I know I'm not in the right path. I'm not following God. But from now on, I'm going to try harder and I'm going to make it happen. Wrong. That is the plan for failure. That's I've shared this with many of you. I've tried it many times. Remember, we just saw from Scripture that the wisdom required to submit to God does not come naturally to us. And as the goal is to be righteous before the eyes of God, that's good. That's the right goal. Now the way there, the way to accomplish being righteous in God's eyes is none other than by God Himself intervening by God Himself given us His Holy Spirit so that we can do and will what is right. That's the only way. Before any wise choices are made in our everyday life and live a longer life like the prophet and us before any of that with the Christian worldview in mind first, as Jesus said, you must be born again. So the call then is ultimately To obtain the wisdom to trust in Jesus. That ultimate wisdom is knowing that God is holy, God is just, and He requires perfection of us. And then we say, I don't have perfection. I've blown it. You're in good company. Because when we believe that Jesus can forgive our sins and we trust in Him, in His righteousness, in His perfection, in His perfect life, His death, His resurrection then Jesus pays our price that we owe for our disobedience. He empowers us so that the Holy Spirit gives us the strength of perseverance so that when we fall, we can get up so that we can know that we have eternal life. And that is a consolation to the believer. Is it sobering to see that perhaps we're not on the right path? Yes. And that's, that's a matter of life and death. But there's hope that the path to get into righteousness has already been done. And that's been done in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. So that He will then empower us to obedience. He will empower us to be wise. And so that then we can share it to others and show it to others. Primarily in the way that we love them. In the way that we share Christ with them. So that the message is perhaps hard to accept, but nevertheless, it's true, so that God can do a work in all of our lives. So with that, let us remember that the path of righteousness is the one that Jesus has already walked. We cannot do it on our own, but He invites us to walk that path with Him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much because you are good, thank you because you have provided the way of righteousness for Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life and nobody comes to the Father but through me Lord may you just instill that in our minds in our hearts so that we can follow you Lord not of our own will because we won't fail but because you have given us that strength that conviction through your Holy Spirit may we become a changed people Lord may we love each other Lord may we love you May that be the sign that we are your followers. We ask this now in Jesus' name.